Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Codependent Perfectionist Podcast. This is Alana Carvalho, and today I have with me Lindsay Pratt, who has been on the show before. And today we're actually going to be talking about a different topic that has to do with alcohol use and codependency. And there, for me, Lindsay and I, we both have um, a background in the substance abuse world. That's where we kind of gained our, our real beginning skills. Um, and of course, codependency is so tied to substance abuse. But what we're actually going to talk about today has to do with um, people that are using alcohol in a way that's not necessarily considered substance abuse, but is just excessive in some capacity. Um, maybe they want to get their drinking a little bit more under control. They feel like it's a little bit out of balance in their life. And that's really what um, Lindsay's platform, The Discerning Drinker, is about. But I'll let her share a little bit more about that. Go ahead, Lindsay. Hi, everybody. <clears throat> Thank you for having me, Alana. So as Alana mentioned, my name is Lindsay Pratt. I'm an LMHC as well. Um, and yeah, the discerning drinker, I guess you could call it model or concept, is really around the average drinker who does want to make uh, changes around their drinking behaviors and utilizing mindfulness and really just trying to get curious about one's own drinking habits um, to get it to a place where it, it does feel more balanced and more in control um, and more aligned with really what, what feels right for a person rather than things that might, you know, might be problematic. So I wonder, Lindsay, if you could maybe give the audience an understanding of what you see as the connection between codependency and drinking that may be somewhat out of balance for people. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, as Alana has mentioned, of course, a lot in this podcast, codependent thoughts and, and codependent actions can really be... Um, pervasive and, and distracting and, and really something that, that fills a person's mind kind of all of the time, depending on the level of codependency. So oftentimes I find that with clients, the out-of-balance drinking is really coming from a place of trying to quiet the codependent urge of always needing to be aware of what everybody else is doing that they may be with, trying to fix or control their emotions or their situations. And, you know, it almost goes hand in hand with the fact that alcohol typically, for some people, may help them open up a little bit more emotionally. <laughs> so if a codependent is, for example, out having drinks with someone who begins sharing what their experience is, their codependent urge might be to, to fix that person's problem or they're, they're just feeling so deeply what the other person is feeling due to a lack of, you know, emotional boundaries there that the alcohol starts flowing to an extent that's no longer balanced, no longer healthy, and it's helping the codependent quiet their own codependency in that moment. So that's just one example, but it, it definitely can run through in that, in that way. Yeah, I've also seen that a number of my codependent clients also have some social anxiety. Absolutely. And, you know, so they walk into a room and there's alcohol and maybe the first thing they grab is a drink to make them feel a little bit more comfortable in that setting. Yeah. Right. I'm wondering if you think, Lindsay, that that in some way um, could be done differently to be more helpful in terms of codependent healing and recovery. Totally. I mean, the way that I address it um, 
in, in the book that I'm writing, Discerning Drinker, and, and sort of through this lens, is that alcohol tends to be a band-aid for a lot of different things. And, you know, getting the drink to quiet the social anxiety or quiet the codependency may work for the evening. Long term, though, it's not actually doing the deeper work, um, which for both social anxiety and codependency is often just being in one's head too much, you know, being overly analytical and potentially quite judgmental of oneself and their own thoughts and their own experience and always kind of second guessing that, which alcohol quiets for them. So I think that you know, thinking of when those desires arise, getting really curious about why am I having this drink at this time? Why did I run to the bar to get the first drink? Is the person that I'm with generating some discomfort in me? Is is this not really an authentic place for me? Do I even like bars? Do I, do I really want to be here tonight? Or did I feel obligated to come and, and now I'm going to drink to sort of self-soothe that? So there's a lot of deeper work that can be done and I think the portal to it is through curiosity um, of one's own drinking patterns. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I, you touched on that kind of authenticity piece. And, and I think that that's a big one because oftentimes the difficulty for many of us is being our authentic selves in these settings and worrying about, will people like us if we are who, who we really are. And so instead we feel like maybe we need to have a drink to be different to make people like us more, which can be, you know, after a long period of time of doing that can often be destructive for us in terms of connecting with who we really are and feeling good about it, right? Yeah, and it really kind of segues into another, like, piece of the codependency and the drinking going hand in hand, which is that for people who identify as people pleasers, oftentimes there's a desire that that may be coming from an inauthentic and people-pleasing place where the people that you're around may be cheering you on to drink more and urging you to drink more, which of course is just a reflection of their own out-of-balance drinking stuff that they may or may not be working on. And the codependency really arises as a consideration of like, well, I want to please them. I want to, I want to maintain some stake in how this night is going to go and this is how they want it to go. And so, sure, another round of shots or another beer when that actually doesn't feel authentic at all. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a big one. You know, I hear people feeling like they have to have a drink because if they don't, they won't fit in or other people will feel uncomfortable that they're not drinking. And so then, you know, it puts them in this place where even as adults, they feel that peer pressure that they need to do what makes the other person comfortable in a situation rather than saying, you know, tonight I'm either not drinking or, oh, I'm only having one drink or whatever it is. Absolutely. And it, it's so nuanced. I mean, I see it with clients and things as, um, as small as uh, a waiter or waitress bringing the wrong drink accidentally and not wanting to disappoint the waiter or waitress by sharing that with them. And so, you know, I'll have that drink and I'll order the one I had really wanted, you know, so really consider like how nuanced it can be where the people pleasing stuff comes up around alcohol. Um, and of course, you know, different cultural expectations of how to drink, age expectations. I see that a lot with younger adults where 
authentically they may have aged out of the quote-unquote party scene that's allegedly appropriate for their age in terms of college and whatever, but they don't feel like they can say to their friends, I don't like this anymore, I stay home on the weekends, you know, because they're 23 and that's not what a 23-year-old is supposedly want to do. (laughs) Right, right, absolutely. And I think another piece of it, and this kind of goes in a different direction, but is also um, drinking because you know, codependents tend to hold in so many feelings, right? And then we drink and our feelings come out at that time in in a way that we're not used to maybe expressing them when we're sober. And that's, I think, a common one that I see where all of a sudden this person who is so sweet and nice becomes a really angry drinker. And that's the way that they learn to maybe express or release the feelings that they're having difficulty releasing when they're sober. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes out in so many different ways. And I, I have a whole section of my book called Drinking to Feel. And it's it's around, just as you mentioned, people who struggle to tap into their emotions, whether they are conventionally, quote unquote, good or quote unquote, bad emotions, they have trouble getting in touch with that. So for some people, it is, it's a sudden outlet for anger. Um, for others, it's, it's honestly, and this, this typically feels quite sad in the therapy session, but it's the best way for them to really feel at all, you know, even joy and connectivity with their partner or whatever it may be. Um, it, it, sort of lubricates the discomfort that one may have with feeling their own feelings and suddenly it's a portal to do that more easily which can make out of balance drinking happen really quickly and feel really appealing because it's like oh finally i'm able to feel yeah absolutely and i think that's a good point that you raise that we don't often maybe think about is that it also taps into the positive feelings that sometimes are hard for us to feel as well. It's not just, you know, the, the quote unquote negative feelings, right. Um, or maybe even just feeling at all. If we're, if we're really detached from ourselves. Totally. Yeah. And I think that that's where, you know, um, if, if you're listening out there and, and can relate to that component of it, I think, getting accustomed and, and more comfortable with just feeling feelings in general is a big piece of, working out of the out-of-balance drinking stuff, meaning it, it may mean seeking out therapy, it might mean doing group therapy and learning how to open up with other people in a sober space where that is the expectation, is kind of to drop in and get emotional in the way that a lot of people reserve for being in a bar. Um, so, you know, thinking about how can I get in touch with my feelings more often so that this isn't the only way to get, a, get in there. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, um, I'll speak for myself, that this, for me, was a big piece of my own healing process and looking at this and choosing to make different decisions so that I could really be present with myself. And for me, that was, at times, completely removing alcohol because it didn't feel like I wanted to know what it felt like to, to really be present in, in various situations that I hadn't been previously. And so... I wonder, Lindsay, what what you would say to people who are thinking about maybe working on their alcohol in this way. How how should they kind of go about it? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I think that if it feels right for someone to sort of do as you've done and, and give it up and see how that feels kind of across the board or in different circumstances, that's a great way to do it. I also think that 
even just down to each individual drink, exploring and really taking some time to ask oneself, like, do I really want this? You know, because for some people, they, they want the first in a way that feels authentic and balanced, but they want the second out of codependency. The server comes around and, and asks the whole table, do you guys want another round? Everyone says yes. But you, do you feel comfortable doing that? If you're codependent, maybe not. You know, in that I think that there are lots of ways to get in there. And, and the main thing that I really believe in is that it's a combination of curiosity and self-compassion in that when you take a deeper look, you may not love what you see there. Or it may be a longer road than you had hoped to straightening out some of the out-of-balance behaviors. But you have to be soft with yourself in doing that because... It, you know, taking a punishing attitude around it is probably going to make you drink out of balance even more. <laughs> Absolutely. And as, and as always, like, you know, it's a big one here on, on this podcast that we're doing all of this, looking at ourselves through a lens of compassion. And if you find yourself um, doing some of these behaviors and still feeling like your alcohol use is, out, is more out of control, it may be beyond what we're, what we're talking about in this podcast. So it's something to be mindful about. Um, but again, having compassion when you're doing that, being curious about what's going on. Um, so I think, I think we did a good job hitting on this topic today, but as always, we were happy to go deeper into anything you guys would like. So feel free to reach out. You can catch Lindsay on her Instagram, which is the discerning drinker, right? Yeah, it's just, um, just discerning drinker. I know the, um, yep. And then I'm in the process of writing the book, which will hopefully be the same title if, uh, whatever publisher I work with allows it. Um, so just keep your eyes peeled for that space and, um, yeah, reach out if you have any questions. My email address is meetlindsay, M-E-E-T-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Uh, Lindsay at meetlindsay.com, right? Sorry, lindsay at meetlindsay.com. Thank you. That's okay. And um, as always, you can reach me at my Instagram is the codependent perfectionist. My website is alanacarvalo.com. Feel free to reach out if you'd like more information on this or if you have any other questions. And as always, I appreciate you joining the show today. So thank you, Lindsay, for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Absolutely. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye.